scripture lesson from today. Today's passage comes from Malachi chapters 2 and 3. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and the purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offsprings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for all the welcome. Um, I am from Eau Claire. We are planting... Yeah, another PCA church on that side of the state where there is the closest one is about an hour and a half away. So there are not um, there are fewer churches over there. Um, if you'd like to talk to me about that or get more information about that, I do have information with me. Please pray for our church plant. Um, and most of all, if you know someone in the Eau Claire area, I would love to connect with them. So I always ask that when I'm here in the state um, visiting other churches. And so let me pray and we can... Uh, Um, consider God's word for us this morning as you guys continue and we get to continue to look at some of the major themes and passages from the Old Testament prophets. So pray with me. Father, who can discern our errors, Lord? We know we need your word to dissect us and to heal us. God, we pray that in Christ today we will trust and be declared innocent of our faults. Lord, illuminate your word that we may understand it. God, that we may cherish it and love it and obey it. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hmm. Um, I'm going to start with some lyrics to a song that maybe you know. Um... Do you hear my madness? Laughter hides my fears. Sorrow's depths are endless in this valley of tears. I'm reaching out in desperation to the one who's holding the stars. Um, Those are words written by a man named Leo Schofield. He is a songwriter, adoptive father, um, Christian minister in a a messianic uh, Christian congregation, and he has been in prison since 1987 for the murder of his wife. 
he has maintained to this day, he is still in prison, his innocence. And what makes the case unusual is that there's another man named Jeremy Scott who is serving a life sentence for other murders in the area who has confessed to this crime multiple times under oath and there is physical and DNA evidence linking him to the crime. Recently, a Pulitzer Prize winning author named Gilbert King has been investigating and telling the story, trying to understand how a man who by all accounts is innocent of this crime could still be serving a life sentence and that as he sought justice his entire life, how he could still be denied it. We all kind of lean in when we hear stories like this. I think it's because justice is something people instinctively long for. And I think on some degree, injustice is a universal experience. Wherever I've been, it seems across all generations, geography, culture, um, political beliefs, everyone has a sense that there is something unjust in our world. There's something wrong. Um, and I actually think this desire really explains the popularity of the crime drama. Um, and in fact, in our day, the emphasis on a need for social justice, that we need to find a way to right wrongs of the past. The prophet Malachi, though, calls us to examine our own longing for justice. Malachi is addressing a people who have returned to the land after they were conquered by Babylon, um, and then they were exiled. They've now rebuilt the temple. Everything is going right. They've done what God commanded them to do. But it's still not like what it's supposed to be. They're still threatened by oppression from the pagan nations, and God seems very absent from their circumstances. And this prophet comes to confront them because they've misunderstood what it meant to come back to the promised land. They've misunderstood what it means that God will come to them. And they've, maybe most profoundly in this text, misunderstood what their request for justice will get them. And so this text is a dispute between a people waiting for justice and a God who does not seem to have brought it to them yet. The problem with their request of justice is a problem we probably share. Because the kind of justice we are always sure the world needs is always coming for someone else. And this justice will always renown to my personal benefit. My sins, my faults, those aren't that big of a deal. Those aren't concerned in justice. I play a negligible role in the unjust world. But Malachi not only confronts their understanding of justice, but provides the assurance we all need. The Lord is coming. And considering his arrival, we must remember that because of Jesus Christ alone, we can see how God will save us as sinners through judgment and provide us delight in his coming rather than fear. So, first, let's consider the charge of absence, of God's absence made by the people. The book of Malachi is arranged very interestingly. It's arranged in kind of a question-and-answer format. It's arranged around arguments between God and the people. And in this text, in verse 17, God, we could say, starts the argument. He asserts that the words they're speaking weary him. They tire him out. 
He's getting tired of arguing with them. And the question back is quite naturally, well, how have we wearied you? And he says, you've wearied me by saying these two things. Everyone who does evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? In many ways, the people are asking the age-old problem of evil. If God is all-powerful and all-good, he would be able to prevent all evil. But evil exists. So the objection, as I'm sure you know, goes, either God does not exist, or he's not all-good, or he's not all-powerful. Otherwise, evil would not exist. Now, the people of Israel were not atheists in this sense. But this argument led them to show apathy towards God and his commands. After all, why not? The great promises God had made them about returning to Israel had kind of fallen flat. They rebuilt the temple, but there was no supernatural sign God had returned. There was no fire falling from heaven for them. There was no grand sacrifices like when Solomon built the first temple. There was no glory cloud descending. So disillusionment followed. Where was God? Did their rebuilding matter? And what about all these promises of redemption from their enemies and the greatness of the kingdom of God? They were all, the nations were supposed to stream in and worship God, and instead they were being ruled by pagans. They were being threatened by pagans. The other nations were the ones prospering. And the success of people they didn't like and evil people caused them to ask, so where is the God of justice? When will he get here? And of course, when will the Messiah get here? Surely, maybe when the Messiah shows up, he'll fix these abnormalities. He will put us on top. He'll come with fanfare. He'll give us that kingdom. Bring him. He'll make the oppressors pay. He'll set things right. And this was the way they were hoping for a Messiah. And this is, again, this is such a contemporary question. Christians, where's that God you talk about? The God who's loving and all good. This God who's letting wildfires burn, letting an innocent man rot in prison. What evidence do you have? Man, I'm just dropping everything. <laughs> I'll pick that up. What evidence do you have that your God is working today? It doesn't matter how you live. There are plenty of people who call themselves Christians who live opposed to God's law. They do so without any consequences. What is God doing about any of this? What we learn in this text of Malachi is this attitude wearies God. This lack of faith wearies God. This kind of twisted sense of justice wearies God. Why? Because it's getting something fundamentally wrong about our God. God is not waiting in indifference to sin. God is not just letting injustice continue. God's waiting is a sign of his long-suffering and grace. God is granting people time to come to him and repent because he is merciful and loving. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. God does not wish any to perish, but wants to grant repentance. So it's then dishonoring to God to look at his patience, his mercy, his long-suffering, and say, well, I guess God doesn't care about justice. I guess God doesn't have a plan for the world. So we would do good to hear Peter's admonition. God is patient with you. Many people think what they need most from God is justice. And they are wrong. What you need most from God is mercy. The people of Malachi's day needed mercy, not justice. They thought God's justice owed them some kind of blessing. They saw the privileges and powers the other nations had and wondered how this kind of injustice could happen to them. But they did not understand those people would incur a stricter punishment. They didn't understand the implications of God's justice. They wanted to just see the world set straight. And they wanted the good to be rewarded and guilt to be punished. But that kind of reckoning should have terrified them. The start of the verses, we learn their marriages are out of whack. They're, they're not living in a just way. They are as guilty And real justice, the kind of justice God enacts, is coming for every infraction and every sin. If anything, the greater awareness we now have of the world's injustice, the systems of injustice, should convince us all we have read in our ledger. So that means justice is coming for us. And that is why we need to seek God and find mercy. So yes, the God of justice will come. The question we should concern ourselves with is not when, but will we be ready? And the Lord, because he's good and he's kind, says, I will prepare you for this by sending a messenger. That's the next and and major section of this prophecy, which is a major emphasis across the prophets, the coming of the Lord. Yes, the Lord is patient, but he's coming. This is how chapter three begins. This is the certainty. He says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So where is their God? Behold, he's coming. This word behold is actually very interesting in Hebrew. It could be translated as here I am. In fact, there's that famous verse in the book of Isaiah where God says, who will go for us? Who will speak for us? And we have in our English Bibles, here I am, send me. It's the same word. It could be read, behold, send me. God is present. Here I am, and I am coming. So where is God? He's ready to act, and he's going to send a messenger. In ancient times, a great king would always send messengers before them to tell people to prepare for the royal procession about to arrive. They had to make sure nothing would get in the way, that the community would be ready to honor the king as his arrival. The coming of the Lord for Israel called for such preparations. You might know in the New Testament, this verse is used to describe Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist. 
But take for a moment to consider how cryptic this prophecy is. A messenger will come to prepare the way for the Lord, and he will suddenly appear at his temple. Well, they've rebuilt the temple, and obviously they were wondering, did the building of the temple even matter? Since there was no sign of God's coming to it yet. But the Lord said he will come. And obviously, if he's coming to that temple, their faithfulness in building it mattered. We live in such a time. Christ taught us many parables, telling them to earnestly prepare for his coming. What we do while we wait for the Lord's arrival really matters. The time is significant, even if it feels like day to day very little is happening. We can feel like we are not making much progress in Christianity. We struggle with the same sins. We see little results from sharing the gospel. We worship week after week and hear the same kinds of messages from everyone named Matt. And it can feel futile, especially in a world full of injustice. But God actually has a purpose in giving such a cryptic prophecy. God promises there will be a messenger to prepare them, but he doesn't say how long they'll have to wait. He doesn't say their exact name or when it will be or what the details will be. Logically, the people hearing this prophecy for the first time would wonder, is Malachi that messenger? Is he the one preparing the Lord's way? Or is another person going to come still? I mean, obviously, God could have said, my messenger, John the Baptist, will come in approximately 400 years. He will baptize in the Judean desert and he will dress in camel skins like a prophet. God could have revealed all these details, but it did not serve his purpose because he was seeking repentance in that people in that day. If the identity was revealed, it would encourage them to presume, to be waste time, to be idle. But Malachi is telling them what the book of Hebrews tells us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to begin repenting. Today is the day of the Lord. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But this prophecy does reveal to them the important details of the Lord's coming they need to know. That they need to know in order to order their lives to it. He says, first he will send a messenger, and the Lord will come to the temple as the messenger of the covenant. Malachi is looking for a day of decisive visitation for the covenant. The Gospels tell us this messenger is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. All of human history is building to the moment in the Gospels where John shows up. And the Gospel writers do everything they can, quoting scripture after scripture, to make it clear this moment, this historical moment, starts now. Right? This is why the Gospel of Mark starts this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark announces something is beginning, the gospel. The Son of God is appearing, just as it was written in Isaiah and Malachi, and now there is a messenger baptizing people for repentance. 
because this is what the prophets were talking about. And that is why John's ministry was one of repentance, because he is preparing people for the visitation of their God. But there's something very unexpected with how Mark describes this visitation and with how Malachi does. Mark calls it gospel. Malachi talks about a judgment coming. Mark says it's going to be good news. Malachi says it's going to be a judgment. So the coming of the Lord will be good news in spite of their unfaithfulness, and they will delight in it, but there will be judgment. This is, this is many strands coming together that I think are often difficult to bring together. And that is why, of course, only Christ's coming can make sense of all of the words that are spoken, these prophecies. Yahweh says the Lord and messenger is coming to him. And this messenger who's coming, if you look closely at the verses, must also be divine because he will come to his own temple. The messenger, this covenant messenger, possesses the temple. They are looking for the God of justice. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes, is divine, does own the temple. I mean, this is how the gospel writers talk about it, right? They talk about this is the promises of Abraham that God is now keeping. This covenant coming is sudden, it's unexpected. The visitation is not one God predicted, but God did send the messenger before. But the question Malachi asks, which is fascinating when we put together this term of judgment and gospel, Malachi asks, who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? This is the final piece of the prophecy I want to consider this morning. What will God's arrival be like? As I read these verses, as I think about them, as we heard them this morning, I want, I'm going to reread them and just think about how much do these verses sound like the nativity story. Um, let me read them. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as is the days of old and in the former years. Then I will draw near to you in judgment. I will be swift against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers in his wages, and the widow and the fatherless, and those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts." These verses describe what will happen when the Lord arrives, and probably not our traditional Christmas language for Christ. But it's fascinating. These verses point out two outcomes of his arrival. One, a purifying of the people of God, and two, a judgment of people. Jesus' coming would bring a great salvation and a great judgment. And for all, it would be a great test because he was coming to enforce the promises, the covenant God had made with all of its blessings and curses. Jesus, his coming, is the climax to the story of Israel and all of the promises God had made before. 
The king comes, and what does he do when he arrives at his temple? Well, he says, this is my house, and he cleanses it so it can be a house of prayer. A major element of Jesus' preaching throughout the Gospels deals with the temple. Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple. He threatens curses and judgments on the temple. Christ is the covenant messenger. Christ warned Jerusalem with so many perils that God was going to draw near to them and judge them. They are the ones that God made tenants in his vineyard. He has sent them many messengers, prophets, who they've disobeyed, some they've killed. And he says, the the vineyard owner now is sending you his own son. There's no messenger with greater authority. Jesus came working miracles, teaching with authority. He is the son. He is the final messenger that no one can surpass. And how will the people looking for the God of justice respond when they see him coming to them? They will plot to kill him. And so judgment and destruction will fall on the temple. And that is the judgment that is being worked in Christ's coming. But God at the same time is working something else, something we and the Gospel of Mark calls good news. It is the message of how you can be purified and offer worship to God. Jesus' ministry was a fuller soap and refiner's fire. The soap they used Fuller soap isn't like the soap we use. It's more like a, a whitening treatment. It's how they made cloth white. And a refiner fire was an incredibly hot fire used to melt precious metals to burn out the impurities. This process of God purifying them, of course, it seems, was not going to be painless. But what Malachi sees emerging from the refiner's fire is the people of God dressed in pure white delighting in God. A priesthood that will worship God and please him just like they did in the days of old. Malachi sees the church coming out of Jesus's ministry. So the coming of the God of justice is good news. It's something you can delight in because God saves and purifies his people even through judgment. Jesus came to execute justice and be judged that the people may be made pure. God saves through the just judgment falling on Jesus on the cross. And that is how God is both just and the justifier. The judge of all the earth came as the Lamb of God to die for your sins. He cursed the temple and suffered its curse so that all of worship could be pure again. So it is only in Jesus Christ we can return to God with delight because there God's judgment was totally exhausted because the way Malachi sees this judgment of God working out is it encompasses a totally exhaustive view of the world. It'll cover spiritual sins, relational sins, judicial sins, civil sins. It'll fall on commercial sins, sins done in the political sphere. It falls on all injustice. Anything that brings dishonor to God. And God promises he will judge these things, that that judgment is coming today. But in Jesus, through faith in him, he will purify you of all such sins. And the coming of Jesus will be a delight. To you it will be a wedding feast, a feast of joy and consummation, not a day of dread. Because in that day, 
Jesus will save you again through judgment. Though he will judge the world, his people will be redeemed. This time they won't be judged for their sins. They will, we will find everything set right in creation. Today, though, is not that day. Because Leo Schofield still sits in a Florida penitentiary. Justice is still denied to him. But in the refiner's fire of prison, God has given something else to this man. The end of this, one of the parts of this story that's so amazing is Leo was once brought an arm's length away from the man he believed killed his wife. He described the experience this way. I made the decision in my mind. If they marched me up next to him, if they put me next to him, that was God's will. I was going to end it there in the hallway. My, my heart is pumping. It's pumping. It's pumping. They march him up and I'm getting ready. I'm going to wrap these handcuffs around his neck and I'm going to take him down. They're not going to beat me off him until I get out 20 years of frustration and I get the justice for Michelle, my wife, and me, so it's done. And it just so happened he got about 10 feet away from me and this guy on the top of the stairs yelled because he saw me and they yanked him back. And I had this massive relief, you know, because I was terrified. It's interesting, he says, he, he wasn't scared because he was missing the chance, but because of what he found inside of himself. This is what he says. I carried this wrongful mantle for so long of being a murderer, and then I let myself be brought to the place where I actually was willing to do it. In my heart, I had murder, and I didn't want that. It's fascinating. If there was ever a man who needed justice more than anything, it, it would be Leo Schofield. But this event taught him something else. It taught him something he needed more than justice. He says, bitterness leads up to the, the war. And I understand this. I'm a believer. So from the spiritual sense, I believe I'm saved. I know that my wife, Michelle, she was saved. She was saved in a little church up the road in Mulberry. So she's delivered. The only one losing right now is Jeremy, the man who um, he believes killed his wife, who's never known the love of a mother, never known the love of a friend, never had a friend. He's in prison for crimes he's committed, and everybody here hates him. And I said, okay, God, if this is your will, I will ask. Forgive me. Help me forgive so I can be free. Hmm. We need mercy, not justice. Most of all, Leo Schofield found he needed mercy, not justice. Most of all, again, hear the words to the song he wrote. Do you hear my madness? Laughter hides my fears. Sorrow's depths are endless in this valley of tears. I'm reaching out in desperation to the one who's holding the stars. Even as a man who spent his life waiting for the justice system to get something right, it's not what he's asking for. He wants the one who's holding the stars. That is the message. The answer to the question, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Jesus. The one who's holding the stars has come and will come again. And, and Leo, he was being prepared for that coming in a jail cell. Forgiveness freed him when earthly justice couldn't. 
and God is still showing patience to Jeremy Scott. God is still showing you patience. God is not slow to keep his promises. No, he wants us all to be ready. So get ready. And I don't mean get ready like a fire and brimstone get ready. Prepare like you are for an honored guest. Clean the house, do the laundry, prepare the feast, invite others, lay out the welcome mat, because by faith you are preparing for that happy day. The one whom you seek and delight in will come to you. Amen. Let me pray before we go to the Lord's table. God, we thank you for your immense patience towards us. With our sin, all of our questions, our unfaithfulness, we praise you 